0: All right. Let's shift gears for just a moment here. Whenever you're ready, I'll take your cue. Welcome to Blinking Red, a podcast dedicated to truth-telling for these uncertain times. Hello, everybody. I'm Dan Rather. This is a defining moment in our country's history. For these uncertain times. A testing time, the likes of which we have never been through before Blinking Red Episode 3 A podcast dedicated to trying to understand as best we can these turbulent dangerous times We're trying to be a calm steady voice in a time of tumult shouting and propaganda and trying to put what's happening into context and perspective, especially historical perspective. So let me start with a quick story. But also to celebrate this very special 4th of July. It was the 4th of July, and our family was celebrating the 242nd anniversary of our great country's founding. I'm 86. My wife, Jean, reminded me that given my age... I've been around for more than a third of our country's history. That was an eye-opening moment. I like to think I've been a few places and seen a few things, but I don't think I'd ever thought of it that way. Or perhaps another way to look at it is, our country from an overarching historical perspective is still very young. We are a young experimental country. A lot has happened to America in the past 242 years. We've survived some tough times. I remember growing up in a hard-scrabble neighborhood in Houston where my family would give food to those who couldn't afford to buy it. I remember as a boy, watching neighbors, breadwinners for their families, summoned to war, and never returning home. We have been through so much as a nation, and we've come away stronger because collectively we had a purpose, a united purpose as a country, to succeed. For most years, we were all in it together. And we've always been safeguarded by the work of the Founding Fathers, who were pressing enough to envision the need for certain inalienable rights, so we could enjoy life liberty, Liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. happiness. Among those rights guaranteed by the First Amendment to the Constitution is freedom of the press, and that's a topic I want to talk to you about today. Why is that freedom being challenged now by none other than the President of the United States? There are a few constants in these crazy times, but one to be sure is that President Donald Trump is thin-skinned. He is not, to say the least, a fan of criticism. And as a result, we have what he calls fake news, a term I detest, but nonetheless It's become a part of our vernacular. It's all fake news. It's phony stuff. It didn't happen. Well, folks, fake news is nothing more than any story that is critical of President Donald Trump. That's really his definition of fake news. Simple as that. Perhaps because there have been so many critical stories, President Trump has now labeled the entire American journalistic establishment as, quote, fake news, all except for Fox in its prime time, which has become state TV. No, not, not you. Not you. Your organization's terrible. Your organization's terrible. No, I'm not going to give you a question. I'm not going to give you a question. You are speak. fake news. Sir, you know, these papers are just Although it feels like this is a whole new political phenomenon, I've seen similar retaliation against the press before. Similar, but not identical. I want to talk about some why it's different. But when I say that I've seen retaliation against the press before from presidents, I lived it. In 1972, I was witness to the unraveling of the mass criminal conspiracy known as Watergate a conspiracy led by the president of the United States himself now richard nixon was not fond of the press this reporter especially he wanted to ban the washington post the post i want it query understood that from now on ever no reporter from the washington post The Nixon administration went behind the back of this reporter to try to get me taken off the White House beat. Fortunately, my boss, Bill Small, didn't even tell me about it until a long while later. Well, I'm glad we don't take the vote of this room, let me say. By this time, in Houston, it was my hometown, President Nixon was beginning to get cornered by the facts. It was designed to be not a news conference, it was designed to be a political rally in support of the president. And in that atmosphere, so when I first got up, there were some cheers, but there were a lot of boos. Thank you, Mr. President. Dan Rather with CBS News. <laughs> president, Mr. President, are you running for something? <laughs> I was thinking at the time don't don't let him throw you off. And that's when I said what I did. No, sir, Mr. President, are you? Uh, uh, Mr. President. What I meant was, let me get over my question. That's what I'm here to do. I think it's fair to say it was some hell to pay after that. My only regret about that whole thing is that everybody remembers that exchange Where I wish they'd remember the question I asked. How can the House meet its constitutional responsibilities while you, the person under investigation, are allowed to limit their access to potential evidence. And the question well Mr. Rather, was an important question. And I am suggesting that the House follow the Constitution. If they do, I will. In the end, President Nixon could not reconcile what he had been telling people had happened with what the special prosecutor was developing in the way of facts and first-person eyewitness testimony, and that's what led to his resignation. Nixon was not the first president of the television age, not the first to recognize television's power as a presidential tool for persuasion. John Kennedy was. But Nixon was the first to fully recognize and employ television as a political weapon. A couple of his lieutenants, H.R. Bob Alderman, an advertising executive, and a young aide named Roger Ailes, who later launched Fox News, were instrumental in packaging Nixon for television, both during his campaign and when he was president. They always wanted to place him whenever possible in controlled environments with hand-selected crowds, and they certainly sought to have him duck and cover with the press, which is to say, keep the press's head down, keep the press at arm's length, attack the press when necessary, but I do want to point out there's some difference between this Nixon period, including Watergate, and the Trump era. First of all, while President Nixon did not like the press, he actually hated the press, and he frequently had his surrogates, including his Vice President Spiro Agnew, attack the press, President Nixon himself was very careful about out of his mouth saying anything that directly attacked the press. Particularly, he avoided attacking the press as an institution, which President Trump does regularly. Secondly, when we talk about widespread crime in the whole Watergate business, in that era, the Nixon era, these were crimes Americans were committing against Americans. In the present day, with what's being investigated with President Trump, We know that a foreign power was involved in committing crimes. And the question is whether the president or anyone around him are involved in those crimes. That's a big difference when you think about it. But you know, in both eras, in all eras, our job as journalists is always to do the reporting and ask the tough questions. It is the role of a free press, a truly independent press, to be aggressive. The very definition of news is, what people need to know, that someone, somewhere, usually some powerful people, don't want them to know, that's news. All the rest is mostly just advertising and propaganda. Let me take you for a moment to July 25th, 2018. At the White House, President Trump was about to meet with the President of the European Union. A small group of journalists from each discipline, known as the press pool, was allowed into the Oval Office for a photo opportunity. The reporter selected to represent the TV news was Caitlin Collins of CNN. I was representing the rest of the television networks in the Oval Office. We were brought in to, for the top of the meeting between the President and the President of the European Commission. Both men delivered remarks, and then I and several other reporters started asking President Trump questions. This is a normal occurrence, and it is often our only chance to ask President Trump questions. Uh,
1: Did Michael Cohen betray you?
0: Thank you very much. everybody. Thank you everybody. Mr. President, are you worried All about right. what Michael Cohen is on, going Caleb. to say Thank to prosecutors? You. You, Let's keep going. Are you worried uh, about on, what Caleb. is on the other tapes, Mr. Let's president? Thank you. Keep going. Thank you everybody. Thank you very much. Everybody. Why is Laura Cohen right. not yes. accepting your everybody. invitation? You the president or any official isn't obliged to answer, but the press representative is going to ask questions and opportunities like this regardless. It's the news of the day just as I was doing my job in the same room with a different president more than 40 years ago. Here's where what happened most recently takes a serious turn. Later that day, July twenty fifth, 2018, Collins was told she was being disinvited to an event that afternoon because her questions were considered, quote, Disrespectful. Press Secretary Sarah Sanders told me that I would not be invited to an open press event here in the Rose Garden moments later at the White House because they thought the questions that I posed to President Trump were inappropriate and inappropriate for that venue. Because of that, the White House blocked me from going to an open press event here at the White House that all reporters are allowed to go because they did not like the questions that I asked President Trump about the news of the day. The fact that this administration could even define disrespectful is open to debate. Banning one reporter from one event may seem like a small thing. may seem like, well, it's just one more slight. But taken in the full context, it's an important indicator of where we are and in what directions we're headed. This is the president who calls the press, all of the press, he calls the press, quote, the enemy of the people, unquote, the kind of thing that dictators have said from one time and another. The president also calls the press, quote, dishonest. And he's the one who popularized the term fake news. But they can make anything bad because they are the fake, fake, disgusting news. Up to a point, at least up to a point, the constant drumbeat of press bashing is working. Polls are showing a growing distrust of the press, especially among Republicans, and that is the president's goal. But I think it's fair to say, based on his record and what he's said and done, he wants the public to distrust the press as an institution that's part of our system of checks and balances on power. He's done this with one institution after another. He's done it with the judiciary, the courts and judges. He's done it at times with Congress. And keep in mind, both the legislative branch, Congress, and the judicial branch are supposed to be part of our system of checks and balances on power. And so is the press. Now, every president has held some level of disdain for the press. But historically, presidents have respected the idea that the press as an institution is part of our system of checks and balances, and in the past, they've tolerated it. But President Donald Trump believes that he doesn't need the rest of the press corps. He doesn't need the press as institution. And he's trying to quash it, and he's trying to destroy it. The Washington Post is reporting that President Trump has talked privately of banning reporters as punishment for the way they ask questions, not just the questions themselves, but the way they ask the question. We need to pause and think about that. And as we do so, maybe keep in mind the old reporters saying that there are no bad questions, there are only bad answers. After the Watergate crimes of the 1970s and the film All the President's Men, interest in journalism surged. There was a new kind of student who, among other things, wanted to study the craft and wanted to make the world a better place. Investigative reporters could make a difference. Now, perhaps it was too idealistic or optimistic. In the ensuing years, journalism was turned on its head. The Internet arrived followed by social media, and soon newspapers and the advertising that supported them fell away. Newsrooms were downsized, followed by Wall Street sweeping in to pick over what was left. Then President Donald Trump arrived. For a man who so professes to loathe journalists, he may turn out to be the best thing that's happened to the news business of journalism in years. And he's certainly been the best thing to happen to an investigative journalism since Watergate. Interest in journalism for millennials is way up. Those idealistic young people who see journalism as a way to make a difference. Readers and listeners still love a great story. And beyond all the daily distractions, the tweet tantrums and harangues, there are some great stories out there and more to come. Thanks to Trump, journalism may well turn out to be great again, although it was unintentional. He has reminded Americans that good, solid reporting and writing matters. It counts. It makes a difference. As some have written, we are hopefully entering another golden age of reporting. If that turns out to be the case, thank you, Mr. President. You know, there's so much division in our country now. If there's a feeling around that we, we Americans, can't trust one another. If this feeling continues to grow, it can, in my opinion, be the undoing of the great historical experiment that is America. Which brings me to what I think could be an instructive moment for us. Author Artis Whitman has written, And I quote, When I was eight, I went to a circus in Boston and marveled at the trapeze artists, soaring impossibly through space, always catching the flying swing from each other. Aren't they scared? I whispered to my mother. A man in the row ahead turned to answer. They aren't scared, honey, he said gently. They trust each other. That's from Artis Whitman's book, The Courage of Trust. Always like to leave you with a little poetry, and today it is little. A short but powerful poem about dreams by Langston Hughes. Dreams. Hold fast to dreams for... If dreams die, life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. Hold fast to dreams, for when dreams go, life is a barren field frozen with snow. And that's this edition of Blinking Red. Please drop us a line and tell us what you think on my Facebook and Twitter or on our website at newsingguts.com. I'm Dan Rather, wishing you good luck and Godspeed. Stay steady. This episode of Blinking Red was produced by Pippa. It was mixed by Simon Marcus in New York City. Research and editorial assistance from Madeleine Rowe and Wayne Nelson. Original music by Lunatic Wolf, Aaron Winfield, Michael Young, and Simon Marcus. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince.